Hello, hello. My name's Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Or Thursday. Or Thursday. Uh, yeah, you guys. Or Monday. Are, whenever you listen. Whenever. I hope you're having a happy day that ends in Y. That's all I got. <laughs> well, welcome everybody. We hope you have a good week before Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> The season. It's the season. It's the season. I don't know what happened, but I am so holly jolly. It's Christmas. We'll make our banter very short, yeah. very brief. So decorate after Halloween or after Thanksgiving. Do you want to take a guess? You're after Halloween. My Christmas decorations are up. It's it's November 3rd. <laughs> I love it. I wait till after Thanksgiving. That's so sad. Like literally the day after or the Saturday after. I have my decorations up. My my stockings are now and my tree's not up. Okay. But my other stuff is up. Fair. I'll put it up in like this comes out on the 16th. I bet that I I bet now that they're up. Yeah. Normally I wait like two weeks into Thanksgiving and or Thanksgiving. (laughs) Into Thanksgiving. Into November and then I'll put my tree up. Yeah. I have had a couple years where we started earlier. And started listening to Christmas music. And I found that my joy dissipates by the time Christmas actually gets here. That's, I'm sorry for you. When we start too early. Fair. That's fair. So, and and Matt is having none of it. He does not want, he's like, as soon as Thanksgiving is done, like literally, he can like finish his plate of food. And then you can put the tree up. And then he doesn't care. He's like, put it up. I don't care now. So that's where we little, stand. Little story and then we'll get into it because Nicholas isn't, he doesn't care. He really doesn't care, but he doesn't come from, my, my mom already has all her stuff up. Her tree is yeah. up. So I know where I get it from. I get it honest. Yeah. Nicholas doesn't, his family doesn't do that. And so when I said, I'm going to start decorating and he just kind of laughed at me, I was like, I, you're taking away my joy. Don't, you're not going to stop me. <laughs> you can't stop me from doing it. So he, the next day, um, he went out and bought the Christmas sheets I wanted from Target and he like put them on the bed and he had a shirt that like a Christmas shirt and he put it on and I came back from the movies with my friend and he said, I don't hate Christmas. I love Christmas and I love your joy. And so here we are. He's such a, so sweet. I've been married long enough. He doesn't care. He's like, not till after Thanksgiving. Nicholas just, I think, knows he can't stop me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think Matt would actually try to stop me if no, I really push. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I found that when I start too early, by the time Christmas comes, I'm like ready for it to be over, like a little too yeah. much. And so Fair I, I've learned, yeah, let's wait till after Thanksgiving. Anyway, I'm not let us be... know where you fall. Yeah. Are you a, Are you a skip turkey? over Thanksgiving? Or... I don't skip Thanksgiving. No, Let's no, no. I'm not here. saying. I'm just saying as far as like the decor and. Oh, yeah. I don't have any stuff I mean, like that. What do you want? A stuffed turkey on my couch? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Let us know. Yeah. I'll put an Instagram story up. A poll. Yeah. It'll say. Where do you fall? Where do you fall? Let us know. Some people are very passionate about this. Uh, yeah. Listen. I'm not really that passionate either way. Do what makes you happy. Seriously. Yeah. Do what makes you happy. What makes you happy. That's I don't think matters. this case is going to make me very happy, though. No, this case is not going to make uh, many people happy, I'm afraid. But I found it fascinating. So let's do it. Here we go. First, I want to give the same disclaimer. We've given numerous times 
in the past. Yes. But if you're new here or if it's been a while and you've forgotten, I feel it's especially important in this case because the case is basically not concluded, we'll say. Okay. And I don't want anyone taking what may just be our speculation in the commentary as actual legal expertise. We are not attorneys. No, we are paralegals. We cannot interpret the law. No, we cannot. Nothing we say should ever be taken as legal advice. Dear God, no, you'll go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) We do our very best to report the legal events as they are reported by our sources and offer nothing more than our personal insight. That's so important to remember. Beautiful. Yeah, we try and remind you like every 20 episodes or so. Every once in a while, but this is an important one. All right. I say this because the legalities of this case have shocked people, but whether you agree with the courts or not, we are legally not permitted to interpret the law. Therefore, anything we share is strictly personal opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing more. Okay. Do not call the bar. (laughs) Yes, please. Not that we're not like who? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who? What? Like new life goal. Be so popular that the Florida bar knows who we are. Oh, okay. I don't know that I I don't like Uh, that kind of my new my new phrasing now is don't perceive me. (laughs) Don't perceive me. (laughs) I don't want to be perceived. Anyway, okay. So this case is about Lori Houts. Lori Houts was born February 6, 1967, in Las Vegas, Nevada. She was the second-born daughter in a family of four girls. The family moved to California during Lori's childhood, and she went on to attend Henry T. Gunderson High School in San Jose, California. All right. She was very athletic and played multiple sports, including basketball, despite her small stature of just around five foot. Was she a widow? Yes. Lori's other interests included computer sciences, which she studied at the University of California. And despite it being a predominantly male-driven field at the time, Lori was passionate about her career as a computer engineer and began working in Silicon Valley for Adobe Systems. Okay. I use Adobe every day. Yes. We do for this podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. We're using it right now. Thank you, Adobe. Her family and friends described her as incredibly kind, and at just 25 years old, she must have felt on top of the world. She had a fantastic job that she loved, a bright future ahead of her, and a blossoming romantic relationship with a man named Brent Fulmer. There's not a lot of details available on Brent or how they met, but we do know that the couple had been together only about five weeks. Oh, okay. So very new. Yes. Then on the evening of September 5th, 1992, they had plans to attend a wedding together. Okay. So Lori left work that day telling friends that she had some errands and things to do before getting ready for the wedding Mm -hmm. and meeting up with Brent. And just hours later, a man jogging about a mile from the Adobe offices noticed a car parked on the side of the road near kind of a garbage dump site Mm -hmm. area. 
that is actually now the campus headquarters for Google in Mountain View, California. Jojo. Jojo. Goo goo. As he ran past it, he looked in the window and saw a woman who appeared to be dead. Oh, my gosh. With a nylon rope wrapped around her neck still. Oh, my gosh. Can you? Oh, gosh. I don't want to be that runner. That's horrible. I know. I I sometimes say that that's why I never took up running because I don't want to find dead yeah, bodies. Yeah, a lot of bodies are found by runners. If you're a runner and you found a dead body, let's <laughs> know. Yes. That's horrible, but I'm serious. When first responders arrived, they found the woman had, in fact, been killed by the three-foot nylon rope that had been tightened using a square knot. Okay. That's a knot that's a square, in case anybody's wondering. (laughs) It's a special kind of knot. I wasn't a Boy Scout. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There was evidence of a struggle as they found visible footprints all over the dashboard and front window of the vehicle. Oh, that's that's a visual that's right there. That's where her size came into play. I was like, yeah. man, how did she? But her being I did have that thought petite. of like, how did they strangle her with their feet on the dashboard? <laughs> then I realized that it was her feet. Oh, <laughs> yes. Her feet. And that's, and that's she was a trying horrible, to put up a fight yeah. and probably push back so that they couldn't tighten it. Which is yes. a horrible visual. And yes. I just my heart breaks. But there was no sign of forced entry into the car. I mean, cars can be left unlocked sometimes. Yeah, that's that's true. Just the way it is. Their suspicion that she knew her attacker, though, grew when they found her purse nearby with all her belongings, including her wallet and ID, still in it. The I per- mean, yeah, so they weren't trying to steal anything. They were just killing people. Yep. The perpetrator had made a sad attempt to hide it by throwing it over a nearby fence maybe to lead them to believe it was a robbery or maybe to just slow them down in the inevitable identification that it was, in fact, the body of Lori House. Further evidence found suggested that she was killed elsewhere and the killer drove the car to that location. Okay. There were no witnesses found, and according to her family, she had no enemies And they knew of no reason why anyone would do this to her. So, who is the initial suspect? Obviously, the guy she's barely been dating. Exactly. But Brent had a solid alibi and was cooperative with investigators. Yeah, I I mean, I don't say that to, to like, throw him under the bus. It's just the first place that they're going to look. It's the first place I would look. Of course. Upon further processing of evidence from the car, investigators found three sets of fingerprints. Lori's, Brent's, and a man named John Woodward. Okay. John was Brent's roommate at the time and also worked in Silicon Valley as a tech engineer. Okay. Had they all gone, like, on a date or something and his he was in her car? We'll get to that. No! It's important to note that his prints were only found on the outside of the car. Okay. Following all leads, though, detectives interviewed John, and despite his denial of knowing anything about her death, he did not have an alibi for the time. According to John Lorden at Lorden Arts, it was suggested to detectives that John Woodward may have killed Lori out of jealousy because he was actually in love with Brent. Okay. 
and during the investigation, Brent agreed to speak with John over a monitored call. During their conversation, John asked Brent what evidence the investigators had against him and then suggested they meet at an abandoned warehouse to discuss the matter further. Absolutely not. I am. No, no, (laughs) no. And why can't a coffee shop? No, not that's not going to work. You can't just meet at like a Starbucks or you can't talk about murder at a coffee shop. Yes, you can. I research murder in coffee shops all the time. <laughs> I don't know what that just saying it out loud doesn't make it any like less weird. It's what? Yeah, but you're not. They could totally have done that at a Starbucks. Just find a corner, my dude. Why an abandoned an abandoned building? Yeah. Also, you couldn't just like meet up at one of your houses or an abandoned building really abandoned building that's what you no brent then asked john if he killed Lori directly and john answered rather ambiguously in that he neither denied or confessed so you did because if you didn't you would say hell no no yeah well I found nothing to suggest that Brent ever actually met with John at the warehouse, but my guess is no. (laughs) Is John still alive? Brent, you mean? Yes, Brent is still alive. alive? I mean, as far as I know, Brent is still alive. So he didn't meet him at the warehouse because if he had, he would be dead. Yeah, and that's kind of how I felt about it. Um, And there was really nothing further that I could find about Brent beyond that phone call. Despite the case being mostly circumstantial, John Kevin Woodward was arrested and brought to trial. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's it's circumstantial for sure. Yes. Now hold on to your butts. I'm I'm nervous because I I don't see them convicting him without any other evidence, and that's stressing me out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I also really don't like the face you just made. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. The prosecution alleged that John's motive was jealousy over Brent and Lori's relationship. It was a difficult case to make because most of what evidence they did have was circumstantial, and though they had the murder weapon, they did not yet have the technology to lift evidence from a nylon rope that could tie John Woodward to it. Yeah. Circumstantial cases are great. We've talked about it before. But there needs to be, like, a whole pile of circumstantial evidence. just a theory. Yeah, because then it leaves, if you have enough circumstantial evidence, it will leave little to the imagination. And you just get to a point where you're like, there's no way anybody else did this. But in this case, not so much. And not all of it lines up perfectly. Mm -hmm. So it was very difficult. Well, the defense team struck back, alleging that the theory on motive the prosecution was presenting was homophobic. They didn't say that they hated gays. No, but here's why. Okay. They claimed it was just a presumption on their part because John Woodward was gay. That it's just the presumption that, oh, you're gay, so you must be in love with your roommate. Well, I see why they could make that argument, but... He also said, well, I can't confirm or deny. And, like, he didn't have, I mean. Well, he didn't say that. <laughs> I wasn't saying that he said that. He just did not. Really give Allude answer. either way. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, but I don't think that's necessarily homophobic. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not a gay man, I can, so I should I can see, especially in the 90s, I could see, because see. that happened a lot. Okay. It was like people were just starting to get more comfortable living out in the open. And, the, but especially with gay men, yeah. that was like an attitude that a lot of people have. Oh, you're gay? Don't hit on me. Okay. You're so, gay? Okay, don't so fall kinda, in love with me. You know? You're right. You're right. So I, I get where they were going with it, but also it is entirely plausible at the same time. Like it's yeah. not, you know, but I get how they could use that as. A defense. So the defense also held that John's fingerprints were on the outside of the car from a time just before the murder that Lori had been to visit Brent. Yeah. So he's like, she was at our apartment or whatever, and I came. I was out, near I the car. Him, yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. So again, it doesn't doesn't mean anything. It could mean something. It could not mean something. Who knows. I guess the question would be the amount of prints on the car, like, but even still, like, if you're trying to commit a crime, you're like, you kind of know, hands off. Yeah. Ultimately, the defense strategy was simply that the evidence presented by the prosecution proved nothing more than John and Lori were acquainted or friends. Mm -hmm. Several members of the jury agreed, and the case was determined a mistrial with an eight to four deadlock jury. Yeah, I, I mean, but I can't blame them for not convicting him just because I think he, you know. Yeah, at that time. And yeah. it's kind of hard for me to say I think he did it because I don't know any other suspects. Like, And neither did they, which is why they yeah. went ahead. They moved forward with the case. The state um, then recharged John within a few years after the first trial. However, the court did not permit them to use the same motive. Yeah, okay. I think um, John Lorden made a great point about the judge not allowing the motive in that he said it sort of closed the door to the theory of jealousy entirely because yet jealousy doesn't always mean romantic jealousy. Mm -hmm. He pointed out that there is plenty of cases where a friend is jealous of another friend's new romantic relationship because they are simply upset that their friendship has changed due to that new romantic relationship. Or that in this specific case, it could just be fear of losing his roommate for financial reasons. Yeah. If Lori and Brent were getting serious pretty fast, maybe, you know, you just never know. Um, well, but it kind of sounds like it was serious. I mean, five weeks isn't a long time to take somebody to a wedding. Yeah. I mean, that tends to be something that you do with somebody longer term. So... Yeah. So it's possible. And you never know. Like, that sounds ridiculous. Like, you're going to kill somebody over potentially losing a roommate or whatever, or because you're jealous that he's spending more time with this girl. Like, yeah. whatever. But we never know what's going to make someone snap. And people so, be crazy. People be crazy. For real. Well, as far as the evidence for the second trial went, I had a difficult time finding resources that give any detail on what other evidence, if any, they may have added to the case. So I think they may have had something more, yeah. but it wasn't a lot. Yeah. Regardless, 
They moved forward, and once again, it ended with a deadlock jury, seven to five this time. Okay. The defense had motioned for a judgment of acquittal after the evidence had been presented before the jury deliberated. I really hope that doesn't happen because that means he can't be tried again. If they declare it a mistrial and say that it's up in the air, then they could technically try him again. But if he gets an acquittal, double jeopardy, he can't be tried again. You are correct. And they did deny that motion. Okay. Okay, at the time. But when the jury deadlocked, the defense motion to dismiss the case under California State Law, Chapter 8, Section 1385, which at that time allowed the judge to dismiss setting forth the reasons in a written order entered upon the minutes. Now it's slightly changed. And it also allows them to give the reasons verbally in court as long as it's being recorded, yada, yada. But back then, they could do that. They just had to write out the reasons for it. And include it, like, on the minutes rather than in a separate order? Yes. Okay. They could do both. Yeah. They could write a dismissal order and put the reasons, but they definitely had, they were required to put the reasons in the minutes. Okay. So... The court did, subsequently, dismiss the case. The state's attorney's office kept the case open or on their shelf, if you will. Yeah, like, not cold casing it, but... Yeah, in hopes that they would eventually collect some new evidence and be able to retry John. And every year or two, investigators revisited the case, especially with the rise of forensic technologies... Mm -hmm. They had hope that something more would be found. And in 2020, the case was officially reopened. Okay. Newer DNA technology made it possible to perform testing on the nylon rope, and the DNA found matched John Woodward. Oh, shit. New methods used for collecting and examining fingerprints were used, and they were able to match even more prints than before to John. Mm-hmm. They were also able to match fibers found on the nylon rope to fibers taken from a pair of sweatpants found in John's car back in 1992. Okay. We've got some tangible evidence now. Yes. Prosecutors had hoped that this would be enough evidence to reinstate charges against John Woodward again. I kind of agree with him. There was one problem, though. John was nowhere to be found. Of course not. Of course not. Because he got away with it. So, change his name, move to Mexico. Not quite. Oh. <laughs> but he did move. They didn't know that sometime after his last trial, he went to work for ReadyTech, an online training company. He transferred to the company's office in the Netherlands. And rose to the top as the CEO. You're kidding me. I am not. Finally, in 2022, Homeland Security flagged him on an incoming flight to JFK International Airport from Amsterdam. Oh, my gosh. 
So 30 years after Lori's death, John Woodward was met with a team of law enforcement as he arrived back in the U.S. for personal reasons or vacation. They're not really sure. But if he had just never come back to the U.S. Yep. Because they just flagged his name. That's all they did. They're like, we just have to wait for him to pop back up. Wow. They arrested him and escorted him back to California where he was placed on house arrest at his brother's home. Once the murder charge was refiled, John's defense team filed a motion to dismiss the case, citing double jeopardy. I mean, they kind of have a standing for that because he was tried for it twice and it was dismissed. Their argument was, quote, that the court's order dismissing the case was based on the court's finding that the evidence was legally insufficient to support a conviction, and therefore the dismissal operates as an acquittal. I can see what they're trying to do, and I honestly <laughs> respect it. I do, because yeah. I, I would... That's oh, going to work, isn't it? The prosecution's counter-argument was that the dismissal was, quote, one in furtherance of justice, not based on a finding that the evidence was insufficient as a matter of law under the substantial evidence standard. Yeah, because they didn't acquit him. They could have, and they didn't. Right. So... So So, of course, this goes, you know, now there's a new judge, new court... It's that like, has to figure this out. It's like six in one hand, a half dozen in the other. I understand both sides. They're both yes. not wrong. One yeah, of them just, just happens kinda... to contain a murderer, you know. <laughs> that's kind of how I felt about it. Um, the court considered all the documents from the time of the trial, despite the defense arguing that the court should not consider the original trial court's dismissal. Because they did both. They mm-hmm. did. They wrote a dismissal order and they put their reasons in the minutes. Defense did not want them to consider that dismissal because at the time, the reasons for the dismissal were just in the minutes. So they're like, no, just focus on the minutes. Yeah, don't look at the just random dismissal. Like, don't look over there. Get context here. Yes. So I think that they didn't want the judge to read too much into the language being used in the actual dismissal just focus over here on the minutes that'll tell you all you need to know Yeah, because the dismissal is probably saying like well i don't know i don't know what i couldn't get my hands on the old court documents i think because they're from the 90s it was harder but i did get my hands on this judge's final order on the thing okay So the judge rejected that argument and moved forward considering all the documents from the previous trial. The prosecution entered multiple other documents for consideration, but the judge declined to review them. Those documents included news articles, the bail motion, and an unsigned, unfiled motion to dismiss, which they felt showed the previous judge's intention for the dismissal. But if he intended it, he would have signed it and filed it. The prosecution also argued that double jeopardy is not determined by the characterization of a dismissal, but the ruling in the defendant's favor actually being an acquittal. 
They went on to support that argument with the fact that the judge had denied the motion of acquittal prior to the dismissal. And I see their point. It Uh, does get very confusing. Like, why would the judge dismiss the acquittal? If he had intention to make the dismissal. Yes, if his intention was that the dismissal would be an acquittal. No, the judge would have done an acquittal if that was what he wanted and he didn't. So try him. On August 22nd, 2023, the court concluded that the dismissal was, quote, based on insufficiency of the evidence and operates as an acquittal. I hate it. I hate it so much because I understand how they got there, but Mm -hmm. it's hard because I like we know that the judge has to look at it without the additional new evidence of all his DNA and all his. Fingerprints. Right. He can't acknowledge any of that. And so he has to just look at it for how it was in the moment. And in the moment, the evidence wasn't sufficient. Yes. So he has to set that aside. So I, I understand how the judge made that choice, whether or not I think it has anything to do with the actual crime itself. It's difficult, though, when you know that there's yeah. new evidence. It's and you know so he struggled difficult. to make that choice, too. Yeah. Because he's not stupid. He knows there's new evidence. Otherwise, they wouldn't be trying to bring it forward. Yep. So the judge supported their decision with U.S. Supreme Court case Hatch that held the Fifth Amendment prevents a retrial if the court determined the evidence at trial was insufficient to support a conviction as a matter of law. I read this case before. The Hatch case. You did? I have, yeah. I think I've... I think it's possible that I did, too. I just don't remember. I didn't remember all the details, but this was interesting. So, therefore, a ruling of legal insufficiency is, quote, functionally equivalent to an acquittal. They went on to explain that when a court disagrees with a jury's decision, that the evidence is conflicting and, therefore, a guilty verdict would be against the weight of the evidence a retrial is not barred. And though the court may apply this evidence standard when dismissing using Section 1385, it, quote, usually does not. The judge went on into an elaborate comparison of Hatch, that case, and another Supreme Court case, Manns, I think is how you pronounce that, to show the difference between using the terms insufficient evidence and weight of evidence. Okay. It was determined that the use of insufficient evidence is a legal term of art, which means, for anybody that doesn't know what that means, it means its usage by legal professionals has a very distinct legal meaning. Mm-hmm. So the court using the term insufficient evidence means the evidence was insufficient to support a conviction as a matter of law making the dismissal equivalent to an acquittal. This is all, like, serious legalese. Let me see if I can break it down, unless you wrote it and you want to... I kind of go into a little more explanation, and then you may have an easier time breaking it down further. Um, They also explained, though, that the trial court's explanation of the evidence in the written order of dismissal might be interpreted as weighing the evidence. It's not expressly stated, and it really cannot be taken that way because the jury never rendered a verdict. 
Therefore, the court could not determine that the verdict was against the weight of evidence. Like, it's so, <laughs> it's so like circular. Woo, here we go. Loop de loop. So, are you sufficiently confused yet? Maybe you I can am. break it down let's, a little bit. Let's see. It might take me a minute to get there, but let's see. So, basically, when they say it's of what did you say of legal legalese, like what <laughs> yeah. legal all what it what was it legalese? Um, when they say the oh my gosh, insufficient evidence. When they're talking about insufficient evidence, mm-hmm. they are basically saying, hey, when. When the judge uses the term insufficient evidence in his documents, that means to us in the legal field, nope, not getting convicted. Where you, this is the equivalent yeah. of an acquittal because this evidence will never lead to an acquittal. They're de- basically they defined insufficient evidence. Yes, like to be. It's kind of a unspoken rule yeah. if you will it's just kind of like like trying to define the word responsibility to somebody to us it just it, responsibility means responsibility right and like in the legal industry or in a court of criminal law more likely insufficient evidence means this evidence will never lead to a conviction therefore it's equivalent to an acquittal yeah that's my attempt the second half of what you said though yes <laughs> that's Very gonna confusing. be on you so that so if I'm understanding everything correctly, and if I'm not, and somebody out there is an attorney or maybe a paralegal with criminal law, criminal law ex- experience <laughs> that is much more than what we have, um, by all means, reach out to me because I spent a lot of time trying to fully grasp this and yeah. then break it down. So... It seems to me, without me being able to read the actual original dismissal, it seems as though the way that it was written, the judge may have accidentally used that term, insufficient evidence, whereas they really Really were referring to the weight of the evidence and when they say the weight of the evidence they mean how persuasive it is right yeah that basically meaning if they had used the weight of the evidence i think that that alludes to so at the time yeah this does not weigh enough to break it down really (laughs) simply it doesn't weigh Weigh enough. enough To warrant a conviction. Yes. But if you were to get more. And, and make it heavier. Yes. You then could. You could. And that's how the prosecution took it. But unfortunately, however it was worded, it d- yeah. did not mean that overall when comparing to other cases. Well, and he may not have meant it that way. He may yes. have meant that it was insufficient at the time. But I think that this case is a really good example of, like, especially if if we have any judges listening, I doubt that we do. We're not that cool. But if we do, (laughs) make sure that what you end your cases on is what you want them to be ended on for the long term. Because if he had, you know, just said, okay, well, we're just going to dismiss the case and move on. And if he had really thought about it and said, well, let me change this wording and let me make sure that if I want an acquittal, I have an acquittal on the docket. Yeah. It's just that the the fact that he denied the acquittal motion beforehand and whatever was said and done as far as maybe off record yeah the state's attorney's office was really under the impression that 
as long as we get new evidence, like yeah. strong new evidence, we can take this back and to what, trial. And what sucks is that the judge that made the ruling that it was not that it was equal to an acquittal. I don't remember his name. I haven't. I okay. don't share judges names. I get confused. And when I Fair. start adding in everybody's name. Yeah. So the judge who made the ruling that it was an acquittal can't look at, well, what was the judge's intentions? He has to look at yeah. what is on this piece of paper. Yes, exactly. And so even if the judge, the judge may have intended for it to be an acquittal, I don't know. I don't think he did, but it doesn't matter what he yeah. intended to do. It matters what was on the page as at the time. As far as the law goes. Yeah. Yep. So the court's decision to bar a retrial is very stomach churning for some of us yeah um in the light of the new evidence especially that we had mentioned earlier like when you know what that evidence is and then you hear Mm -hmm. this you're like wait what but understanding the system is designed to protect rights as well as provide justice means that sometimes things don't go as yeah i mean they should or we hope the system worked a little too well right for for you know Mr. John here. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And unfortunately, that happens. Um, And on the flip side, innocent people can sometimes be wrongfully convicted and the seemingly guilty can walk free. Yeah. And I say seemingly. I'll stress that. Seemingly guilty because you're not guilty until proven in court. And obviously that never happened. Hasn't happened. It can be frustrating especially for the families of both the victims of crime and the victims of wrongful convictions. And I don't know that we'll ever find a perfect system, but until we do, we have to rely on the appeals process within Mm -hmm. this one. So I believe that the state has every intention of trying to appeal this decision, and I will certainly do my best to keep tabs on that and update everyone if something changes. But there we are. I just was fascinated by, yeah. oh, my gosh, because I saw this case when he got arrested. And I thought, oh, I'll wait for the trial mm-hmm. and then do this, this case. And then this happened. And I was like, wow. I'm well, going to visit it anyway. Yeah. because Oh, it's interesting. If, if we didn't do a good job explaining, if you still have questions, please let us know. Reach out to us on any social media platform. We'll be happy to to try and clarify or to find somebody more qualified and get the correct answer. Yes. Um, one final thing before we go, I just want to let everyone know that included in the show notes is a link to the Gunderson High School Foundation's website where donations can be made to the Lori Houts Memorial Scholarship Fund. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Though her family and friends have not been able to see justice fully served, they have honored her memory by starting the scholarship for female students who have the same commitment and passion that Lori did for social inclusion through academics and athletics. So we love it. If you feel led. It'll be in the link in our link tree. It'll be in the show notes. Yes. And if you feel led, please visit the site and give some other teenage girls help in achieving their goals yes well this was a great this is a very burden of proof case i love when we get cases like this it's very courty court very courty court (laughs) but like interesting courty court you know yeah well i hope i was able to break it down enough and you you helped break that down even a little more because it was was, yeah i I understand staring 
at the computer like how do I explain this and uh Matt walked in and he's like you okay I was like my brain's gonna explode <laughs> he's like okay so I'm an external processor with yeah. all things so it helped that I went through it with him to like try and explain it to him and yeah. he seemed to understand it when I did that so then yeah I felt a little more confident so but if you still have questions like Savannah yeah. said Reach and out. if you made it all the way to the end of this, um, go on our social media. Any of the social media posts that we make about this, is feel free. It's all game. Leave a um, little computer emoji for our woman in STEM, Miss mm-hmm. Lori, and you'll be entered into our Sunday shout outs for our Instagram stories and Facebook story on, on Sundays. Yes. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, we'll see you next week for our very special Thanksgiving episode. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.